From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. This was intended to um, elicit a response from a base that is, at the moment, um, uh, having to live with the coronavirus crisis, having to think about whether or not to send their kids back to school. And, and, and nevertheless, right, the administration says, um, we're not going to talk about masks. We're not going to talk about how to open schools safely. We're, gonna t- we're not going to even talk about stimulus. We're going to talk about critical race theory in diversity training programs uh, in, the, in the administrative state. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The Trump administration has used the bureaucracy to chip away at longstanding regulations aimed at equity and equality. Constitutional and administrative law expert Charlton Copeland tallies up a racist agenda. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Charlton. Welcome back. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, In a recent editorial, you wrote that President Woodrow Wilson used the bureaucracy to further enshrine racial discrimination into American life. Could you explain? Well, well, there are um, uh, at least two examples uh, that that, that I highlight to to provide support for that claim. Um, The first is when Wilson uh, came into office, uh, uh, his uh, appointments uh, recognized that blacks and whites were working side by side in certain of the the pools, um, primarily as clerks and typists, um, and 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 were enraged by this. They they thought that this was an imposition on uh, white women to to work next to uh, black women, and uh, and immediately uh, imposed physical segregation uh, uh, between blacks and whites, and and then subsequently began to impose. Um, more insidious forms of, of segregation, that is to segregate blacks into uh, lower level jobs, lower paying jobs, more menial jobs. And so increasingly blacks were pushed out of jobs that had a, a, a more professional track. Um, one of the ways in which that was done by the administration is um, they instituted an ID requirement. So applicants for federal jobs had to submit a photo ID uh, along with their application, and that was one of the mechanisms by which uh, racial discrimination in in the bureaucracy was furthered. Hmm, I see both the ID example and the the sort of physical segregation, and then the the, the sort of professional segregation right. uh, within uh, the the administration. Uh, I think uh, are, are are evidence of of of, of Wilson's um, again commitment to using the bureaucracy, and it's and, and it's ironic because. Uh, you know, uh, Woodrow Wilson was progressive, uh, meaning it's certainly not a racial progressive, but a progressive with respect to governance. Uh, he he knew perhaps more than than any president, uh, perhaps before or since, about the power of the administrative state and the power of administrative governance. Right? He had written about the importance of a kind of apolitical bureaucracy, and so um, uh, nevertheless, uh, he brought into the bureaucracy. Um, uh, the, the sort of racist uh, perceptions, indeed undermining in, in, in lots of ways the, the autonomy of the, the bureaucratic state in, in the early 20th century. Okay, and you're making the, the claim that the President Trump has sort of used this as a, a playbook um, 
by using the same kind of bureaucracy, but, well, for one instance, through the Department of Housing and, and Urban Development. Is that right? Yeah, I think that I think that the story in for Donald Trump is um, is 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 complicated. Certainly, um, it, it has is, it has uh, uh, resonance with the with the Wilson story, and I and I suspect if you dig deeper, there's there's, there's more resonance. And I say that in part because of the divided political climate of the time. Right? If we if we think about the closeness. Uh, with which uh, Woodrow Wilson was elected uh, uh, initially in in, in 1912, uh, right? He faced um, a divided Republican Party, uh, but a Republican Party that had been fairly dominant. And had it been uh, more united, he likely would not have won. Uh, similarly, right? Donald Trump uh, did not win the popular vote, um, and 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 probably doesn't. Uh, conceive of the likelihood of winning the popular vote uh, uh, this year. And so what does that mean? It means that, 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 that he has to, and he relies upon, exciting uh, segments of the Republican Party. Uh, but it also is uh, an environmental issue. And I say that in, in terms of the, 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 the less uh, expert term, um, meaning that the Republican Party's demographics are such that it has become uh, increasingly reliant on white voters, increasingly reliant on conservative white voters, um, including racial conservatives. And, and, and this is in part the genius of Trump, right? That he recognized this in 2016. He, he campaigned in ways that signaled to that group of, of, of people within the Republican Party that he would champion their interests, that he would challenge um, uh, both the Democratic Party and uh, the Republican Party uh, in, in in those ways, right? That the things that he he came out uh, uh, saying at the very earliest in the campaign about about immigrants um, uh, are, are are simply one example about Muslims or another example uh, of the the ways in which he was willing to deploy uh, uh, racism uh, to to be frank um, to activate what he thought was an important but overlooked constituency uh, by, by mainstream uh, Republican candidates. And, 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 and he did that successfully. And so faced with, uh, I think, uh, perhaps a loss of uh, certain uh, voters who, who, who supported him uh, for any number of other reasons, but might have been willing to, to, to think that Donald Trump's racism wasn't nearly as serious uh, as as they uh, as others thought it to be in 2015 and 2016, right? He has uh, activated the, the the administrative state in ways to signal this. And so recently, both in a speech at the White House and uh, in in a series of tweets, he has drawn their attention to uh, uh, the Housing and Urban Development's uh, uh, most recent rule uh, re, 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 uh, rejecting an Obama rule. Uh, the affirmatively furthering uh, affordable housing rule, which uh, would have made it more difficult for states, uh, for municipalities, I'm sorry, to um, to neutrally uh, zone out low-income housing and housing that was disproportionately for renters of color, particularly. And he he used in 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 those tweets and in the speeches this this refrain that. Um, that Democrats and Joe Biden and the left 
wanted to abolish the suburbs, our beautiful suburbs, and and that crime uh, and and criminal elements would invade the suburbs uh, uh, and 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 destroy them and abolish them. And he kept and 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 he sort of he kept invoking the notion of abolishing the police with abolishing our beautiful suburbs, and that. That, that's not even a dog whistle, right? That That is a, uh, uh, as someone said, a foghorn to uh, to white women in the suburbs whom he is losing um, and, 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 and whom he fears losing. And so uh, he has activated the, the bureaucracy in the service of the, the, the racialist, racist uh, politics that, that, that shaped the, the calculus of his campaign and in, in fact, all right, his governing strategy. Yes, the White Housewife vote, which I find hilarious. I, I, I really didn't think that was a very big thing anymore, but who knows, maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, you also talked a little about um, the Department of Homeland Security. Could you tell us a little uh, about that? So as, as, as recently as, as 2018, uh, Trump's own Homeland Security uh, has uh, issued reports saying that we are not adequately surveilling and preparing for a surge in white nationalist violence, that that domestic terrorism is a real threat. It is a national security threat and needs to be taken seriously. That uh, uh, Those reports and the efforts by others within the Department of Homeland Security uh, have simply been ignored by the administration. The administration and administration, administration officials um, have pushed back against those assessments. They have uh, uh, argued that the the assessments are, are wrong. Right. This is this is the way in which Trump both deploys the administrative state and then confronts and attempts to delegitimize the administrative state uh, in a way that is 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 again. Um, uh, Brilliant in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain ironic way, right? That 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 the that the bureaucratic state is being understood as in the HUD rule serving the interest of white suburban voters uh, and their property value, uh, and then secondly rejecting the uh, expertise of his own uh, uh, officials when those officials declare at least some elements of the uh, of his base to pose real threats uh, to American safety, right? And by contrast, uh, you know, the, the, the things coming out of the White House suggest uh, Antifa is a, 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 the real threat. Uh, uh, and, and even uh, yesterday, uh, uh, the Attorney General, uh, Attorney General Barr, right, um, uh, asserting that sedition charges should be brought against uh, protesters. And, and, and clearly that that is aimed at Antifa and Black Lives Matter, right? And so again, this this notion that threats to uh, American stability and American governance are coming from the left, are coming from uh, black and white protesters of uh, police violence, uh, are, are, are 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 front page for, for for them. But the the own their own security assessments by the administration's experts have been ignored. And then secondly, with respect to that, the deep instability at the Department of Homeland Security, right? The, the, just the, the, the parade of acting uh, uh, secretaries, the inability to, to, to have anyone uh, in that position for any length of time is another way 
I think, is, is, is the mechanism by which this kind of disruption and this kind of challenging uh, of, of expertise and, and, and the administrative state um, is furthered. Clearly, clearly. Well, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Office of Management and Budgets Memorandum. Remiss indeed, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this memorandum um, uh, sent by the director of the Office of Management and Budget to, to agency heads uh, uh, across the bureaucracy is, um, is, again, this deployment of the administrative state, right? The, the Office of Management and Budget um, has... Uh, accumulated uh, a significant uh, swath of authority over the bureaucracy. And that's been since the the administration of Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is a long standing practice. Presidents have used the Office of Management and Budget in in both pro-regulatory ways in the Obama administration and deregulatory ways in the Reagan and Bush administrations. And so this is, again, it's, it's, it's an old bottle, as it were. Um, but in some sense, right, this is new wine. Um, this is, and, and this memo says to uh, the agency heads, we, we have heard, right, that's how it starts in some sense, right? It has come to the attention of the president. The media reports. This isn't, again, uh, the deployment of agency expertise. This isn't internal uh, knowledge. This isn't even uh, whistleblowing uh, on the part of 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 of, of employees who um, who uh, have to under uh, 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 live under a regime of of of, of divisive uh, educational training materials and experiences, right? This is uh, essentially reports from Fox News uh, and and right wing media outlets that assert that uh, diversity training programs within administrative agencies uh, have. Uh, increasingly turned uh, anti-American by the use of uh, critical race theoretical uh, materials that that uh, attempt to uh, articulate the sort of foundational role that race and and racism has played in American political uh, and bureaucratic development. How how race shapes uh, even uh, what we might perceive as our, our our most unbiased interactions, right? In ways that uh, one might think would place uh, administrative decision makers uh, who exercise significant uh, amounts of discretionary authority uh, to be on guard against their own biases, their own prejudices, right? The notion of implicit bias is not limited to race uh, because the, 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 the ways in which we might deploy hierarchies are certainly not uh, limited to race. And uh, yet the administration goes there, right? Sort of stops at race, talks about the ways in which um, these uh, anti-American, un-American materials and training projects um, are undermining, again, the bureaucratic state. And so here is Trump uh, to the rescue of the bureaucratic state, despite the fact that uh, and this is, again, a confrontation with, with the Obama administration, uh, that, right? The Obama administration, toward the end, uh, pushed agencies to think deeply about implicit bias, to try to, 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 try to take those issues seriously. In fact, even the Trump administration's um, uh, own materials, and I, I, don't, I hesitate to call them Trump administration materials, but the, bureau, the, the materials produced by agencies, even during the Trump administration, have uh, 
been consistent with respect to the need for diversity training, the need for uh, training with respect to implicit bias, the need for a more representative bureaucracy. Um, and so it is, again, this, 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 this moment in which Trump has, has sort of reached around the bureaucracy to, 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 to ignite his base. They, it, the, the memo says that there will be more specific rules forthcoming. It's not altogether clear what's going to happen here, but it is certainly clear that this was intended to um, elicit a response from a base that is, at the moment, um, uh, having to live with the coronavirus crisis, having to think about whether or not to send their kids back to school. And, and, and nevertheless, right, the administration says, um, we're not going to talk about masks. We're not going to talk about how to open schools safely. We're, gonna, we're not going to even talk about stimulus. We're going to talk about critical race theory in diversity training programs uh, in, the, in the administrative state. Um, and, 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 and so, again, that's a, another example of the, the ways in which this administration in uh, a, a political environment that incentivizes uh, this kind of behavior is using uh, American institutions. And I might add, American institutions that in the literature, right, in political science literature, in legal literature, we think of these institutions as moderating institutions, right? We think of these as institutions that will moderate the, um, the excesses of any president. Right? I think we, we, we assume that presidents will come to power with um, a certain kind of factionalist uh, rhetoric and, and that they might represent factions, but we believe that the, the institutions of separation of powers, the institutions of checks and balances, the institutions of federalism, the institutions of the bureaucracy will moderate those things. Uh, increasingly, those things are not happening, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that is the, the, the challenge of the, of the administration at this moment uh, to, um, to American politics and American democracy. Thing. Right. Well, that, that theme seems to also be, be carrying over to the 1619 project and and funding um that that does seem to sort of work into to that that whole no this you're absolutely right right so so the 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 the, the discussion around the 1619 project it was initiated by senator tom cotton of arkansas right who filed a bill to prohibit the use of federal funds in uh, schools receiving federal funds uh, uh, with respect to, to, to I'm sorry, spending those federal funds uh, to teach the 1619 Project. Again, calling it uh, an anti-American uh, project, right? And, uh, and so the Trump administration has now doubled down on this and has said, right, we're not going to fund uh, these programs. Again, this is this is this is the sort of intrusion into state authority, intrusion into to, to authority that local school districts have. Right. We can't tell local school districts to mandate masks, but we can tell local school districts uh, to, to correct their curricula in, 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 in these unconventional uh, ways from from the federal level. Let's just remind our listeners what the 1619 Project is. So I'm sorry, the 1619 Project. Is um, uh, is a prize-winning uh, 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 project that is uh, based, I think, at the New York Times, which tries to again recenter 
the framing and founding moments of America to say, look, um, we take 1776 to be this moment of equality and liberty and freedom. But simultaneously, that equality, liberty, and freedom, what didn't extend to all, and it hadn't extended to all in a significant period of time, that at the same time that our framers were, um, were raising the call of equality, liberty, and freedom, uh, they were also enslaving others, and they were also justifying that slavery. And, and that institution, that is to say the institution of slavery, has profoundly shaped American development and American institutions. And the 1619 Project says, let's take that seriously. Um, was there anything you want to leave our listeners with to mull over? I think that I, I think that there's so much to mull over. I think that um, I think that we are at a a critical moment in American democracy. That um, that there are crucial issues being debated in the public sphere, uh, and I think we've got to. We've got to seriously understand what it means to maintain our capacity to solve problems collectively. That, that, that when we lose faith in that capacity, then we will resort to strong men. Uh, we will resort to politicians who, who utter uh, falsities to us that suggest that they alone can solve all of our problems. Uh, and, I, and I think we have to attend to the project of American democracy, um, even above and beyond our own political desires and interests. We've got to attend to the project of American democracy. Go vote, right? Among other things. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, it's been, as always, interesting and a lot of ground to cover. I appreciate your time and your knowledge. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for, for having me. Um, and I look forward to, 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 to being able to do this in closer quarters sometime soon. Let's hope. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's upcoming virtual fireside chat, Defining Your Leadership Playbook, with NFL legends Mark Tressman, Bernie Kozar, and Jim Kelly on October 27th. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.